Warning, this episode contains mentions of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. This house was never meant to be a podcast. Hello listeners, I'm Zach. And I'm Lena. And we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to This House Was Never Meant To Be A Podcast. We're going to be covering all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on. And if we sound a bit different, that's because we're using two different mics. Yeah, and it's been a nightmare so far because we have literally <laughs> recorded this segment like five times already and do horrific results. So if one of our mics totally gives out in the middle, uh, we'll probably have to redo it. So. And cry a lot. Yeah, so uh, there is that. We will figure it out uh, at some point, hopefully, in this particular episode, so it won't sound bad, but uh, you have been forewarned. And with that happy note, today we're going to be continuing Tales from the Dark Side with the episode Answer Me. Yes, it's a good example of the nightmares of technology with a <laughs> phone just nonstop ringing and keeping this poor woman awake. We can all relate to that. Yeah, it's the millennial's nightmare. It's a freaking phone ringing relentlessly and the fear that you're going to have to answer it. I know it's my nightmare and I work with a phone. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, who are the cretins behind this episode? <laughs> well, we have Jean Marsh, who plays Joan Matlin. And if you don't know her like I don't, she played somebody named Nurse Wilson in the movie Return to Oz which I believe is that terrifying movie somewhat based in the Wizard of Oz world. And she also plays the queen character from the movie Willow uh, in the 1998 movie. And I've not actually seen that movie. It's like a fantasy movie mm -hmm. uh, with a bunch of little people playing characters that have dwarves. to... Yeah, dwarves that have to like escort this little girl back to her home or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she plays the queen character in that. So she's been in some things, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say her acting skills are bad. It's just this episode is not a good way to show them off. Yeah. And, of course, the other character uh, <laughs> is uh, our beloved Michael McDowell, who did the wonderful Tales from the Dark Side episode, Inside the Closet. Yeah, so just and, so you know where we're coming from. Yeah, so I guess he needed something to balance out that absolute gem with this piece of coal. Mm -hmm. And he did, like, the story and the tale of play, so I feel like there's literally no excuse. He can't mm -hmm. hide behind no one else. I still like him. He's still cool and awesome, but this is not an example of how this awesome he is. This is quite an oopsie-doopsie. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not the absolute worst episode, but it is rather grating, and it's kind of more disappointing coming out of Michael McDowell mm -hmm. than if it was just somebody else I'd not heard of before, because at this point, it's like, yay, Michael McDowell wrote this, and I was like, oh my gosh, Michael McDowell wrote this? So it's a bit of a disappointment, but I'm still team Michael McDowell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> still looking forward to more episodes he's written, just uh, not this one. I hope I never have to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, about the plot. <laughs> uh, there's hardly one, but I will try to tell you what does in fact occur. Because all of this happens in the same room, two rooms really, and on mostly the same two nights. And it's really just about the phone ringing and it annoys this woman. I mean, there's almost nothing that actually happens in this episode until the very bitter end. So let us get started on the plot. Unless there's something else you want to add. I don't like phones anymore, thanks to this episode. <laughs> See, I never like phones. <laughs> you listeners are like me and have like a just a fierce terror of answering the phone that comes out of who knows why, then this is probably an episode that might hit a little closer to home, except for the fact that the main character answers a separate phone with ease. So, I don't know. There's no fear of phones. There's just an actual nightmare phone. I guess noisy neighbors. That's yes, another one. Phones ringing 24-7. I'm banging into the walls. I'm banging on the walls, but we shall get to that. So, our episode begins 
with this cutesy little lullaby song kind of playing and this woman laying in her bed trying well, to sleep. The, what does the lullaby sound like? I, I couldn't even try to repeat it. Isn't it? Yeah, it's like a little music box kind of lullaby playing just to show that this woman's trying to sleep and then the phone is ringing over the lullaby song. And she just immediately starts talking to herself. Like, she wakes up and she gets really mad that the phone is ringing. It's 3 a.m. I mean, I would I would be mad too, but I'm not sure I would just start nonstop ranting to myself. I feel like that would wake me up more and, like, make me angrier. Because I know when you're trying to get to sleep, sometimes when it's really, really late and you want to sleep, just that anger kind of helps keep you awake. <laughs> You know, I think any little sound that maybe wouldn't keep you awake normally is now just the most grating, irritating sound ever. Mm-hmm. But she, like, goes on a monologue about herself. About- oh, oh, that's the word of the day, folks. Oh, yeah. You're <laughs> going to be hearing the word monologue constantly because she simply will not stop doing it. It's so obnoxious. Mm-hmm. So she gets mad and she says... Oh, my grandmother always says, never take a $600 apartment with thin walls. I'm like, what? Wow, how specific? (laughs) That's very specific. Why is that uh, the lesson her grandmother passes down? And I'm not really sure if that's true or she's being sarcastic. It is really hard to tell with this woman what she's actually saying sarcastically or truthfully because she's so mad. And things like that don't actually make any sense. If that's something her grandmother says, first of all, why didn't she heed the warning? And, like, secondly, why is that something your grandmother would pass down? My grandmother doesn't pass down that kind of wisdom that's exceedingly specific my grandma just says funny things and i say it to others for example my grandmother really hates flies <laughs> her favorite saying is i hate flies so much i wish there were more flies so i could kill more flies <laughs> <laughs> so that's the wisdom my grandma passes down to me but it's not really wisdom it's just kind of funny to me but uh i lost more like it yeah so you can enjoy Hating something, I guess, is what you can take out of that. But Grandma never told me about apartments. Mm-hmm. Especially with thin walls. Yeah, with thin walls in particular. She never said uh, nothing and, about and, that. Or how much they cost, too. Or how much they cost, because it wouldn't be $600 in my grandma's time. They'd be like 50 cents or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on to the episode. Uh, she Okay, first of all, she has a British, British accent. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, that's somewhat plot-related not really sure why, but it is. So she is talking to herself about a grandma and is yelling at the neighbors, could you please answer your phone? And she goes on about she has a 9 a.m. audition and she's jet lagged and she needs to sleep. Make sure she tells us that she's like an actress with all this stuff. And then she literally starts screaming because of that, just screaming, like, and, like throws herself on her bed. An instantaneous scream. Like, she's not raising her voice any point before she starts screaming. Yeah. I mean, she already has her voice kind of raised, but, like, the scream feels like it comes right out of nowhere. It's like, I know you're angry, but you didn't need to be screaming. I feel like in the next scene, because she actually ends up going to sleep and waking up again, I feel like that would be the point you'd want to be screaming. It's like, oh, my God. But here, it's like, it just... The phone actually stops after she stops screaming. So just, it wasn't ringing for that long. Why would you freak out so quickly? I don't know. This is probably me nitpicking, right? Because we, we are so fed up with this episode. By the time you get to the end, it's, you're so done with it. And we had to watch it multiple times. And it's like, oh, it's so annoying. <laughs> so, yeah, I do want to mention it's that kind of scream that sounds like you're also gurgling. Yeah. And she's got... <laughs> Yes. So it was just kind of funny. I thought that was like really funny that she has an audition and she's going to like destroy her voice by screaming right beforehand. (laughs) I mean, I'm not an actor or anything, but like that just doesn't seem like a good idea. I mean, Zachy, you are an actor. Is screaming the morning of an audition like that a smart thing to do for your voice? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's what I thought. And considering she's like an actress that's done multiple things, you think she would know better. Oh, yeah. But, but she she apparently does not. So at 5 a.m., she wakes up again. The music, of course, starts up, the lullaby, because it wants to know... It wants you to know that she is sleeping, because you cannot see with your eyes that her eyes are shut. Uh, and there's a lot of times in this episode where it will... Tell you what you're seeing. It'll tell you what you're seeing. So instead of just using what you are seeing 
as an example of what you should be seeing. It will also tell you what you were looking at, just in case you missed it. Uh, I mean, which might be good if you're looking at your phone the whole time. Maybe you do need to hear that. I mean, but... But it doesn't need to be a visual medium. It can just listen to it, and then that's it. Yeah. So, okay, 5 o'clock. Fodrian. She gets mad. She's like, oh, my neighbors are vampires with their friends calling every minute of the night. Transylvania. Yeah, and she... Then starts complaining that she was from L.A. and she's used to being over there. And if she was in L.A., she wouldn't have even gone to bed yet. And even though there's, like, tons of murderers and earthquakes and just horrible, horrible things in L.A. Mudslides, apparently, that at least they had thicker walls. And I don't know. It's... I just doubt it. No, actually, she, she didn't mention the earthquakes, which I thought was funny. That she didn't mention earthquakes in California, like, yeah, like the earthquake state. Kind of like, missed out on all the horrible things that. I mean, wildfires is more modern right now, but. Well, I don't know. There's probably wildfires back then too. Oh, there was, but it wasn't as big as earthquakes, yeah, which is I like mean, what guess. you know California for. Yeah. So she gave us a lot of information just by saying that that was she was used to be in LA, and. Apparently had a really weird nightlife where she would not even be in bed by 5 a.m. I mean, we occasionally stay up heck of late, but never till 5 a.m. Like, I have to yeah. wake up at 6.30 for work. I'm not going to stay up until 5. Uh, but apparently she has no problem doing that. But she actually lays down for, like, a second again. And we have this just long-lasting shot of just her face in bed. Like, there's really no dynamic shots in this entire episode and this is the worst part of it because she has this monologue which feels like it's an eternity and it's just the camera's just pointing down at her laying in bed looking at her face and it does not change until she's like done with her monologue Mm -hmm. now you know her excitement for the episode anniversary dinner where shots looked like they had purpose put into them yeah when you that was where the (laughs) excitement came from it's from episodes like this yes when you see a lot of just boring shots like this it's like you don't even have to be a director and you start noticing this stuff because all of a sudden you see something really good and it's like wow the camera can move can you believe it things in the shot are important Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, it, the phone keeps ringing, and all of a sudden, like, it stops for, like, a split second, and then all of a sudden, there's, like, banging on the wall, like, right next to her bed. And I do want to mention, on the wall, in front of her bed, her bed is, on either side, it's kind of open, so you can get into bed either way, instead of, like, having the bed shoved into a corner, mm. like my bed is. <laughs> like, I don't know, that feels weird not to have it facing the wall, but on the wall in front of the headboard headboard. is like a blue stripe up until it hits right where the bed starts and then there is this panel that straight up looks looking like the wonder woman w (laughs) and it's a panel so it's actually i mean it's just hanging on the wall but it's for some reason continued from the blue stripe that's painted on the actual wall yeah this panel looks like the wall but with the wonder woman w looking thing on it yeah it's I mean, it's an interesting design choice, but it's very odd. But the wall gets hit so hard, that whole panel kind of flaps forward. So she gets really angry, and she actually stands up and, like, yells out the window, telling them to answer the phone or to go to bed. And she actually notices that the the phone does stop ringing. Actually, she yells out, thank you. And she monologues some more because she simply cannot stop and says her own name, which is what normal people do, and says, of course, her full name, which just so you know, is uh, Joan Matlin. You know, Joan Matlin, you will go to sleep and you will forget all of the banging of the night or something really bizarre like that. Like, okay. And then she goes and lays down. And then the music starts again. And I believe he actually does get to sleep through the night at that point. So, yeah, that's the first scene. It's very obnoxious. But the next day, the obnoxiousness continues because she's sitting there talking to herself. as She's taking these pictures of herself in various roles. 
acting as though she is a casting director looking at those pictures saying how great she is and that they loved her as the third bride of Dracula in the movie Dracula's Harem and they're definitely going to cast her for this role. I don't know if she's being sarcastic or not. I mean, the picture does look like she's supposed to be a bride of Dracula or something, but I don't really know why she's saying what she's saying. I'm not even sure why she's putting the pictures into the envelope because, as we'll see later, it's past 9 a.m. She's already had her audition. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So her the phone rings. She gets angry and realizes that, the oh, the phone, they've clearly decided to turn the volume of their phone up. And then she, like, realizes that it's actually the phone in front of her that's ringing. And then she has, like, a moment to sort of, like, think about that. Like, oh, geez, I guess I was wrong. And actually, like, impressively, she doesn't say those thoughts out loud. We're actually totally allowed to see that on her face. She doesn't actually have to tell us that that's what she's thinking. We can actually see it. It was so scary. Yeah. I I didn't quite know what was happening in that second. Yeah, like, it was like I was watching the Twilight Zone all of a sudden. Yeah. But then she answers the phone and starts talking to her friend, Julie, or was it She's house-sitting for that person, I think. Yeah, because that, that friend that calls her is the person that she's apartment-sitting for. Yeah, she's what I guess is called a sublet, which I guess it means someone who's on the lease can let someone else rent their apartment for them. I guess that's what it is, because that's what it seems like. If you are a sublet, uh, or you know someone who's a sublet... Please send us an email and... <laughs> explicitly described to us what a sublet is. Yes, and how very wrong our horrible assumptions were. So she tells her friend that the audition did not go well because she had these big old bags under her eyes and no one wants an actress who can play a zombie without any makeup. And she, What was she supposed to be again? Like a, a limey? She was supposed to be... a. She literally says, a limey with good comedic timing. They did not want a limey... Who could, could play, play a zombie, zombie with, no, with makeup. no makeup. And I'm like, what the hell is a limey? Like, is that a slur? No, it's not a slur, I don't think. Like, that sounds so weird. I've never heard that before in re- reference to, like, like a British person. I, th- I think it's supposed to be someone who's cockney or something. I don't know. Like, I don't... I'm not 100% sure. Like, I would never use that word to describe someone because, like, I don't know. I'm like, is that some sort of a slur? Like, that makes me kind of uncomfortable. I've never heard it before. I don't, I think that's maybe for a reason. I don't know. This The show is in the 80s, so I'm not sure if that is a slur or not. I mean, this girl is. I don't think a slur would make it on the uh, televised. But, I mean, it might not have been a slur then. Or it could be one of those kind of light slurs, you know? Hmm. So, I mean, not that, I mean, not that I'm going to give you an example here. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know. She says that. And so she kind of starts just ranting to her friend about how horrible the apartment is, how horrible being awake was, and just being super sarcastic about it. This girl is like really, I mean, just kind of grating like that. Like, I know, like, I understand that she is angry, like, that night. Like, that kind of anger like I said, it's kind of obnoxious, but it's understandable. She can't sleep. She's got something really horrible in the morning she's not looking forward to that's scary, right? But the continued sarcasm is like, okay, you know what? You need to stop. It's okay to feel bad, but dang. Just, just pump the brakes a little. Just, yeah. And apparently the girl, she doesn't seem to like care for it either because eventually Joan kind of apologizes saying oh, she needs to complain to someone. So she gives her the number for the uh, landlord and she like writes it down and says she'll call if it keeps happening. And this very second she hangs up the phone, the other phone starts ringing. And of course that makes her angry. But we kind of skip over that. So the next scene is at night and she's got like this TV tray kind of a dinner like the old TV chairs. Yeah, like it's like TV huge. Dinners. And it's a metal tray. Yeah. Like, so you don't microwave it. Yeah, she must have put that in the oven. So she is trying to eat that, and she's just telling herself, you will try it again. I guess she's daring the phone to start ringing, which it totally does. And she gets really angry, and she calls the landlord, whose name is Mr. Rodriguez, and he tells her that there's no one living there. And when I say he tells her, we don't actually hear these voices. We don't hear the voice of her friend. We don't hear Mr. Rodriguez. It's only her 
talking to this other person on the phone, so we actually never hear anybody else's voice but hers, mm-hmm. which is kind of notable, and we'll get to why that is notable later. So Ms. Rodriguez reveals that there's nobody there, and, and she asks who was there beforehand, and he reveals that it was an English girl who was there, and that she didn't move out, but she died. And Joan, she says this very insensitive thing to inquire about her death, and of uh-huh. course... It's there to imply to us how she died, but it's insanely insensitive. She says, oh, pills or a razor? And it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, how insensitive? Because, I mean, clearly she says that to show us that this girl in the next room died of suicide. But think about it like being the person inquiring about that. You would say... How did she kill herself? If you even feel like it's your business to know that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I wouldn't ask. That's not my business. That sounds really rude. Who knows how close the landlord was to this person? You don't want them to relive someone's suicide by having to tell you how they killed themselves. And here she is actually suggesting two awful methods. And it's just really cruel on her end. Uh, but she hasn't really shown to be too great of a character as it was. So, I mean, I guess it's not necessarily out of character. It's just kind of cold. So she gets mad at Mr. Rodriguez, who doesn't seem to want to help her with her problem because he says there's literally no one over there. There should be no one calling. So those bumps you're hearing and the phone ringing, there's no reason for that to be happening. So she says, well, I'm just a lowly sublet. I guess I'll just have to figure all this stuff out by myself. So she hangs up and she holds her hands over her own throat, which would perhaps suggest to us how she died. But because... We're not smart enough to figure it out. She has to tell us, how could someone strangle themselves to death? And then she's like, well, I guess there's no accounting for English girls. Which, I mean, if you were straight, strangled yourself to death, clearly you could figure out multiple ways that that could possibly happen. You don't choke yourself with your own hands. Yeah. Like, that's not that difficult of a thing to figure out. But... Yes, I mean, it happens. I mean, just uh, look at David Carradine. Who? He was an actor. But... Yeah, he died of uh, asphyxiation. Yeah. And, and uh, that, that's a kind of similar situation. Yeah, I mean, clearly strangulation is strangulation. So, I don't know. I feel like that was just a weird thing. Like, they're trying to show you how she must have killed herself. But, like, again, stating it again, it just feels so unnecessary. Oh, I don't yeah. know. But the, but the episode gets a lot worse that with that. <laughs> again, we are nitpicking at the beginning where it's less horrible. But, so... Because she, again, cannot stop talking to herself. She makes sure that we know that her mashed potatoes and gravy are cold and disgusting now because she had to speak on the phone for, like, five seconds with Mr. Rodriguez. It's like, you know what? If it's cold and congealed after, like, ten seconds of a conversation, you literally did not heat it up well enough. Like, that was cold beforehand. It's not Mr. Rodriguez's fault. And, of course, the phone starts ringing again. And she gets really angry. And she stands up and says, Time for violence! Which is actually hilarious. I got to give the episode that that's hilarious. And, you know, because she's got such like a mild British voice. And she's kind of an older woman. I'm not sure how old. Not that old. But it just kind of sounds funny in her voice that she wants to commit violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she actually walks over there to the next door, which is 12F. Like she lives in 12E. And she actually says, Good evening, Sora Madam. Unplug your telephone or die <laughs> again it's pretty funny so this this episode does have its but don't moments. worry that's the peak of the episode it is the peak well you know what it's the second it's like the first kind of peak the ending has kind of a peak to it hmm. so she kind of talks to herself saying since someone's in there and everyone says someone's in there it doesn't really matter if she goes in there it's not like breaking or entering if no one's living in there so she goes back home grabs like a credit card so she can shimmy or jimmy the door open but it opens automatically and she doesn't have to do that so she tells us what we just saw by saying two seconds ago that door was locked no and it's like we, we know that we literally saw that with our own two eyes like why did you have to say that out loud so she goes in the room and it's empty and then there's a bunch of dents by the wall where just by seeing her walk from her room to that room you know that that wall is the wall next to her bed And there's huge dents by it. And clearly something was like thrown at the wall there. 
But she also has to tell us, oh, wow, this is right by my bed. And it really just sucks. All the actual tension or creep factor right out of that scene. Because she has to tell us what we are seeing. It's like, yes, we know. We can see that. And it's really funny. But the walls and just kind of the entire room has this bizarrely static look to it. Like texture wise. It looks like it's pixelated. Yeah. Like the entire background looks like an actual picture. Like a, a static picture. Or like a screen grab from like a VHS or like DVD, like old DVD screen grab where you can kind of see the fuzzies and little pixels. It, the walls look like that. Yeah. And it, she interacts with the doors and stuff. So it isn't a picture. It's an actual room. It just bizarrely looks like a picture. All of it looks very flat. And I think it's because the texture has an actual literal TV static kind of a overlay on it somehow. I don't know how the <laughs> heck they got that to happen, but they did. And it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could just because it's an old show. I, I have no clue if that was purposeful or just like an old, just because it's like older technology or something. But kind of threw us off for a while we actually thought we were looking at a static picture until she actually opens the door (laughs) and she actually she does go to the side of the room she opens up a door it's like the bathroom and then the door behind her kind of closes so she turns around and loudly wonders how the door shut she turns to the closed window looks at it for like a whole second and says clearly the wind blew it closed and again, she's very heavy on the sarcasm. So we could t- clearly see that the window's shut. But she also mentions winds blowing through a closed window. You know, just in case we didn't see that the window was closed. And the fact that she was being sarcastic, she had to make sure we understood that she was in fact sarcastic and the window was in fact closed. Did you guys lose brain cells yet? Because I've been feeling them dribble out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I'm being so repetitive saying all this stuff, but <laughs> this episode is so repetitive and annoying. Like... We get it. We we can use our brain cells. We can see what's happening. You Mm -hmm. don't need to tell us. We know. Yeah. So she goes and she wonders aloud if she is really that stupid to be looking through the door that sort of slams shut in a room that she's in, in like a basically clearly a horror episode of a TV anthology series. (laughs) And then she goes to the other door that had closed and she finds the telephone in there. So she grabs it. And she dials for the operator and tells them that the occupant of that room is dead and the line should be discontinued. Now, here's where you actually hear another voice in the line. Mm -hmm. And this is what's noteworthy because she spoke to two other people that you whose voices you could not hear. But you can hear the person speaking. You can hear the operator speaking on this phone. And the operator is a British woman. And of course, that's odd because if she's in New York why would the operator be British which I mean of course the operator could very well be British but the fact is that I mean it is a small world (laughs) it's too small of a world because she's the only British woman we've seen as far as we know that she lives in New York it's more likely that the person who'd be answering the phone is also a New Yorker Mm -hmm. so it's just a bit noteworthy that the person who answers is British. Particularly, like I said, because she herself is British, right? Mm-hmm. Had she just been a New Yorker or whatever, hearing a, like, a British person answer wouldn't even be so weird. It would just be like, okay, that person's British. It just so happens to be living in New York. But because she's also British, it kind of feels a bit odd. Also considering she's the only voice we've heard this entire episode. Mm-hmm. So the operator asks to know her phone number so she can disconnect the phone, but she doesn't know the phone number and it's not written on the phone. So she asks... You don't know your own phone number? Yeah. And then she says, well, it's not my phone. And of course, she's like, well, we can't just disconnect somebody else's phone. And she's like, well, the other person who lived in this room, well, they're dead. She killed herself, so she can't use this phone anymore. And someone needs to like tell her friends that she's dead so they can stop calling the phone. And the operator says something really weird. She says, well, how did she... How'd she die? How'd she die? Pills or a razor? And that's when... And then she, just, she says, or maybe she strangled herself. And the that's... The telephone when... cord. Mm. And, of course, this freaks Joan out and she hangs up. Because she's kind of heard her own words spat back at her with an added bonus. She strangled herself with a telephone cord. And that's more than Joan knew beforehand because she knew she strangled herself 
but she did not know how. And she learned it was via a telephone cord. Joan hangs up and she tries to figure out if she knows anyone in New York. She was like, who do I know in New York? And then she says, I had a friend named Beth who used to be my best friend until I stopped calling her. And then she dials her number. You know, it's a, it's a really cool thing to introduce an important character 20 minutes into the episode, you know, just so we can all of a sudden know something at the end of the episode. You know, that that is him. A-plus writing right there. Yeah, and of course she says this kind of stuff out loud, because that's what everyone does. They just tell you important plot-relevant details of their life out loud. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like what everybody does. By the way, so, we run a podcast. Oh, yeah. And, Zachy, you are my brother, mm-hmm. just because you didn't and know. And co-host. Yes. And we're using two mics. <laughs> we're using two mics. Yeah, just, just in case you didn't already know Zachariah. Or in case there was somebody else As you listening. know. <laughs> in case there was someone listening out there who did not know. <laughs> we know now. Okay. But let's work that into a normal conversation somehow. We're just speaking to ourselves when we're all alone or angry at night that we can't sleep. Ah, uh, I'm losing so many brain cells. So, <laughs> as you can probably tell, listener, I know you have ears and you can hear that I'm losing brain cells as you speak. But I'm telling you right now. I am, in fact, losing them. So she calls, and the same British woman answers and says that Beth can't come to the phone right now because she strangled herself with this phone cord. So she freaks out, calls 411, which is a phone number that exists? Yeah, I don't know like, what that there's calls. Like, there's like 211 up to 911. What, what do those mean? They all are different. Oh, man. But she she basically tries to get the emergency phone disconnecting line, which I don't think exists. It's not 411, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, and she's really mad at the operator. Uh, they have like a little bit of a kind of a, not an argument exactly. She's just like, oh, you sure get around. But she, I mean, Joan clearly knows that something weird is happening, but there's nothing she can do about it. Honestly, this scene would have been, is actually kind of cool. Like, I like it quite a bit, and I wish more of the episode would have had this kind of a tension in it, because it reminds me quite a lot of 1408, which is a bit of a weird movie if you've never seen it. It's based on a short story by Stephen King, and it has John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson in it. It's a bit over the top. There's, like, a scene where John Cusack's character is attacking a fridge, because... It wasn't exactly a fridge right beforehand. It, basically, it's about this guy who's in this evil hotel room, which is quite similar to this, right? It's this evil apartment room with this evil phone ringing in it, except in 1408, it's an actual evil room that you enter. You basically go there to die. Like, you don't ever come out again. Yes, but 1408 is endlessly better. Yes, it's so much better. It, it's weird, but it's so much better. But this scene has that kind of idea that, because every time John Cusack would try to call the phone, there would be this kind of sarcastic woman on the other line, which is kind of the voice of the room. And you don't realize that at first until the movie kind of goes on and it kind of reveals itself more as the room itself manifesting as this voice. And I got that feeling from this scene where she's talking to this operator where she keeps, no matter what phone number she calls this operator is the same woman and she has this knowledge of this suicide that took place and she seems to be wanting to kind of grind that home into Joan's head that Beth her friend committed suicide that but particularly by killing herself with a phone cord so that's an interesting angle it just has come quite a bit late in the episode to have any real impact Mm. so she leaves the room, and in the next scene, because, you know, she goes into the hallway, she's kind of upset, but it kind of, like, ends there. So, in the next scene, she's in bed, and she's reading the book, Call of the Wilds, because they decided, hey, look, the word call is in this. Let us just have her reading that. You know, if they had five more brain cells, she could have been reading the autobiography of Alexander Graham Bell. (laughs) But they figured, oh, that doesn't have a pun in it. I wish instead of the camera panning down to show what she was reading, they could have just showed us the middle finger. I think I would have enjoyed that much more. I would have felt more respected. Yes. I would have felt like they were respecting me as in like audience member instead of that freaking Call of the Wild. I just, I hate it 
so much. So she's reading that stupid book, which I mean, may or may not the be book's good. not bad. We hate its inclusion. In I this hate episode. its inclusion. So the knocking on the wall begins. The ringing begins. She starts saying about how she wants to be anywhere else. She wants to be in Salt Lake City because apparently Mormon people treat actors like gods, which I don't think is true at all. Maybe it was at the time, but I just what a bizarre thing to think i don't know like i don't know if that's true or not like i know nothing about utah i'm sure it's they're not treated like royalty yeah what a just maybe comparatively but not like actually she's probably speaking in hyperbole but it's so hard to tell with her she's so angry and sarcastic constantly i have no idea what she's saying if it's anywhere near true if she if she's not being sarcastic she's hyperbolic Uh uh-huh so it's very hard to get a read on her normal state Mm -hmm. before she goes back to the room she's looking for an item so she can literally beat the person to death which or something to death yeah she actually does state something she knows it might not be a person but she is going to beat them to death she cannot find anything that is a blood object so she decides to use her bare fists so she goes over there she bangs on the door and it of course is locked and it knocks back something knocks back so she goes and she gets like her credit card again and she out loud says please don't open like right as she's gonna jimmy it open so what's the difference I mean, I guess maybe something knocking back scared her enough to completely lose all will to do that, I but, guess. But, but why? keep doing it anyway. But why even go in there? If something's in there, you hear it knocking. And you're so terrified of it being in there. Why would you even go back? I'm like, you know what? There's someone playing a horrible prank on me. I ain't going back into that room. If they want to do something horrible, I'm just, I'm just not going to go back in there. Why actually just hope the door doesn't magically open when you're going to plan on breaking in anyway? I was like, please don't open. Let me jimmy you open. She was clearly planning on going in. What was the point of hoping it wasn't open? It just doesn't make any logical sense. It was for more brain cells to be lost. I guess. So the door, in fact, does magically open. And then she says, oh, I knew it would open. And it's like, what? Why? Why? Why is this happening to us? Now she walks in. And you see her coming into the room. So you see it on the back of the door that there's a huge, nasty-looking... Splinter? Yeah, splinter in it. Like something tore through the door. It kind of looks as though you had like a bolt lock on the door that someone with their bare hands ripped free. That's honestly what that looks like to me. Not that I've ever seen that, but I mean, that's what I would hazard to guess. Mm -hmm. And that could have been creepy to see. Except for the fact she touches it all over and she says, wow, this wasn't there before. We, we, we did, in fact, know that wasn't there before. And just that idea, that kind of momentary, wow, was that wasn't there before, was it? That kind of uncertainty kind of makes you feel a little bit creeped out. But then she points it out and it just sucks all the terror from it. Like even the tiniest bit of fear that could have been gotten, she just sucks it right out by mentioning it. And it's, ugh, like it... It sucks. It'd be like waiting at a bus stop, right? And then the person across the street from his face is like upside down and distorted. And then the person sitting at the bus stop is like all terrified. And then they just say, hey, that dude's face is upside down and distorted. It just, yeah, it just just takes the fear out. Like you can't point it out. Once you say it out loud, it's just a bit weird. Because there's that uncertainty that needs to be at play. Because something like that would be like the another bus passes by and all of a sudden that dude is gone. Then it's like, wow, did I really see that? But this is just pointing out. Wow, that dude out. disappeared. Yeah, it's like, all of a sudden, it's not scary. So <laughs> it's funny. This is never something I actually thought of as something you wouldn't put in horror. Because I don't think I've ever actually seen horror suck away its own creep factor as badly as this episode does. There are so many accidental comedic moments. It, it sucks out any kind of tension. Mm-hmm. So that happened. So she sees the, the phone where she left it, which is in the middle the of the radiator. room on a radiator by the closed window from which no wind could be blowing. Mm-hmm. Both the doors, the bathroom door and the closet door, slam shut. And then she turns around and the door that she just came into slams shut. And the phone starts ringing. Or if it was ringing before, I don't even really remember. The phone's ringing so often it could be ringing the entire time. So, but <laughs> she goes to run to the door 
And oh, can we mention the the phone ringing? Yeah, the phone is ringing, so you know. Like it's ringing so hard. It's jiggling and shaking on the radiator. Yes. So she goes and she goes to pull open the door and the phone is just trembling and, and vibrating and it literally has the receiver receiver thing. <laughs> I had this weird old phone. Uh, the receiver just goes flying off the phone and it hits the door closed and you get this as it kind of jumps from the radiator to the ground and chases after her. It slithers. Slithers after her. And it we has get the this POV from the camera on the ground sliding towards her. Yeah, like someone placed the camera on the little bed of the phone. So you kind of see the little Oh yes, it's one of those old fashioned like It's a rotary phone. Rotary phone. All the all the apartment phones are rotary phones. Yeah, so it's just like it's sitting on the bed of that and it's, you're just watching the, the phone like sliding towards her. And it, then it wraps the receiver in around her throat and it starts to strangle her with a phone cord. While relentlessly ringing. While relentlessly ringing and you know then she dies. <laughs> When she dies, it just goes to her apartment where her phone is ringing, and you can hear the other phone ringing, and then it shows her dead body on the ground. And that phone is ringing. And that phone is ringing. So there's two phones ringing in two separate apartments next to each other. Yes. And that's how the episode ends. And for some reason, it straight up looks like her hair turned brown. Yeah, it did. It's It's literally- straight up turned brown. Like, her hair had been, like, kind of like a light- blonde color. It's like a sandy kind of color. Like yeah. Like a sand blonde or whatever. And just for no reason she's brown haired now. Like a medium brown. Yeah. Like I thought she was a umber. different person entirely. And then, no, it's still her. She's wearing the same clothes I think. She's just now a brunette. So I guess death makes your hair dark. So yeah, that's how the, the episode ends. And I did want to mention that, to be honest with you, that ridiculous phone coming to life at the end is kind of the comedic peak her getting mad and wanting to do violence was pretty funny but that phone is hilarious it's so stupid it's actually pretty funny because it's like alive and there's like literally nothing less terrifying than being strangled to death by that stupid phone cord i just i, I can't mean, even it would imagine be scary it if someone was trying to strangle you with a phone cord yeah but the phone itself like a toy story kind of situation with sid or whatever like, that's not scary. I mean, for anybody else. Yeah. And the fact that it's able to punch the door closed, it does not have that much weight. Those phones are not heavy. At least I'm pretty sure they aren't. I will spoil it for our entire audience. A phone receiver would shatter with the force <laughs> needed to close a door. Yeah. And she was pulling really hard. So it not only needed to close a whole wooden door with the power of its plastic receiver, but it also have to go against the strength of a full grown woman pulling it in absolute terror open. And they're hollow. They're hollow pieces of plastic. Yeah. So there's like literally no way it would have done that. Yeah. And I know it's like supernatural and you know, stuff like that, but it's still ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So that's the episode. I mean, we don't even actually have to describe why it's ridiculous. I think you get a pretty good idea how ridiculous this episode is and what our, what our biggest problem with it is. Yeah. And it's funny because, again, it's not necessarily that the idea isn't bad. Okay? Like, having a phone ringing relentlessly to drive someone kind of crazy, make them behave maybe in an illogical way, like going into the next room to shut it up. Like, I can see that. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea that it might even be what the phone might be, those things are kind of set up too. Mm -hmm. But it is so annoying Mm -hmm. to watch her speak nonstop. I can give it... Like, I understand people can talk to themselves when they're alone like that. Mm -hmm. But she gives a so much information about herself, like her full name, that no one would really do. The way she converses with herself is so unrealistic. The very least it could do is give her a pet, so at least it didn't feel like she was purely talking to herself. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like if you have an animal, people talk to their animals all the time. There's a whole episode coming up where a guy kind of like her, talks a lot to himself, gives off a lot of information, but most of the time he's talking to his pet, so it's not as egregiously bad because he does have something to kind of bounce off of. Mm -hmm. 
So in this episode, they don't do that, though. There is no pet. There's no reason for her to be talking to herself. And it's very grating. And because she's also sarcastic and angry, it makes it a lot worse. Definitely. <laughs> so Zachy, Ooh, it's a doozy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so what are your thoughts on this episode before we try to get into the meat of the discussion about it? This is a cautionary tale in script writing because this is an application of the whole show don't tell. That whole saying, show don't tell. This is why you show don't tell. Because if you tell don't show, you get an episode like this. Where you were told everything that happens. But it's almost even worse. It's a like it tell works. and show. It is. It works against what you are trying to do, which is establish a sense of suspense. Mm-hmm. And suspense cannot be sustained if the characters are relentlessly telling you that this is supposed to be suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Or just stating the obvious. Yeah. Because then it makes you feel like they're thinking you're dumb. Mm-hmm. And nothing makes you quite as angry as feeling like that what you're watching thinks lowly of you. Mm-hmm. And that's like the problem, especially with that show don't tell or tell and not show. And it's like they're doing both at the same time most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're either telling you and not showing you with the whole her being an actor, like her giving you your her life story uh-huh. just to herself because you, the audience, don't know. And then on top of that sucking the fear out of scenes by telling you what you literally just saw. (laughs) So it really does feel like it's talking down to you as a viewer really bad. And again, it's pretty annoying. So I don't know. And it's also just one of my least, it's one of my least favorite tropes is having multiple characters, mind you, talking to each other. This could happen in like a sci-fi or if you watched if you tried, if you've watched like Sleater, like the very first episode, the characters talking to each other, telling themselves information that clearly they already know and have no business telling each other because they know it so well. I wouldn't tell Zachariah he's my brother. He already knows that. That's completely redundant information. Mm-hmm. But to do so in a medium just to give that information to the audience is always a very lazy writing. It's just lazy writing. Mm -hmm. And here they're doing that with one character, Mm -hmm. which is just not entertaining. Mm -hmm. It's just weird and unnatural. Now, for all of our listeners who like to watch movies and play games and stuff, this is something that you should look out for the next time you, like, start watching a show or you start a video game or whatever, look for a main character who is brand new to the situation they are thrust into. Case in point, Bilbo Baggins or Frodo Baggins in the third era of Middle-earth. They live in the Shire their entire lives not knowing anything outside of it. So when they go on an adventure, they are learning about Middle-earth as they go along. So we, the audience, can learn about it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's such a common thing to see people who have no clue what the outside world is like being introduced to the outside world or another world or whatever. Yeah. It is incredibly uninteresting and redundant if a character who is a part of this world is told everything about the world they're in. Mm -hmm. Because then it's like, well, why are they being told this? It's just for the audience. Yeah. And of course, as an audience member, you might want an explanation, right? Like you Mm -hmm. might not feel comfortable. (laughs) Our little dog is stretching down there. (laughs) I don't know if the mic's picking him up, but he's all cute. But... As an audience member, you might want to know more about the world, of course. Like, you don't want to be necessarily just thrust into a world you know nothing about and people are acting as though these random things that are brand new to you are totally normal. But it would be unnatural if the characters themselves didn't find it normal, right? Which is why it feels weird when characters start talking to each other about things that they obviously already know but they're only doing it for audience's benefit, which is why it's always good to have that newbie kind of character like Frodo or Bilbo or even like Luke Skywalker and other characters like him, the kind of newbie that's 
put into this world that they belong to, but they're not quite aware of the larger world. So people can explain things to them and it doesn't feel out of place Mm -hmm. because they can tell Luke Skywalker what the Force is. He doesn't know. It would be really bizarre if Ben Kenobi was explaining the Force to like C-3PO. That'd be really weird. Like they both know about it. They don't need to tell each other about it. But because Luke is a newbie, they do have to explain that to him. And it's important that he does know. So when you have like a character like our main character who is saying all these things that she clearly already knows about herself to herself, it feels (laughs) the absolute pinnacle of useless and redundant. Why Mm -hmm. is she saying this other than for me, the viewer? And what's kind of worse than that is why do I even need to know this? She doesn't need to be the one to tell me. There could be other things to tell me this. You could put things in the background to imply who and what she is. You know, like even in, um, gosh, even in the episode All of Clone by the Telephone, he's got like pictures of actors and stuff on the walls. Like that goes kind of far into showing you that he's kind of in the Hollywood business. Even that episode did more to show the character without having to tell you outright. And this one just has the character just telling you that she's an actress, even though she already knows this and there's someone around her. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's a very huge pet peeve with me when it's done in a more normal way. But this is just, yeah, it's just particularly bad. bad. So other than that... What else do you want to say about this episode, besides what we clearly hate about it? Honestly, not much. (laughs) Not much more to talk about, really. There there are positives, but not enough. Definitely not enough. Yeah, this is absolutely a lower point in Tales from the Dark Side. Mm -hmm. And such a shame, coming off the heels of Snip Snip. Yeah, it was such a good episode, and then this one happened. (laughs) So, anyway, I feel like we should discuss the most important part about this episode, and it is the telephone. Saki, what is the telephone? You know, I spent many a moons thinking about the telephone, what it means, and how this is all tied together. And I think, based off of what we were presented with in the episode, I've come to two conclusions. Either... The room is haunted by the woman who killed herself in that apartment, her old friend. And she uses the telephone as a conduit for interacting with the real world. Or the telephone is an evil entity in of itself that killed the neighbor, the old friend, and took her voice. And those are the only two ways that I can think of this. And... I feel like neither are fully explained. Yeah, I feel like there's some suggestion that implies that it could be the spirit of her ex-best friend, Beth, I think her name was. But there's very little to suggest that totally is the case because there's so very little revealed. Now, the only thing that is revealed is that it's very likely that her friend Beth had lived in that apartment just because... Of what the operator says, that Beth had killed herself by strangling herself with the telephone cord. And that the girl next door was another English girl like our main character, who, of course, suffered the same fate. Now, that's not a coincidence, you know? So that's clearly tying those two characters together as a singular character. However, whether or not the phone is evil... Or it's the girl getting revenge is kind of hard to tell. Now, I would kind of be leaning toward the revenge idea just because of the fact that the main character mentions she used to be my best friend until I stopped calling her. So there's this idea that these two women's friendship was connected through the phone. And once the main character, Joan, stopped calling her, she severed the connection with the phone. This somehow led to the other girl's death. Now, of course, it is not Joan's fault that her friend committed suicide. That's Mm -hmm. not the way that works. But it could be that that girl blames Joan. Maybe she was very alone in this apartment. Maybe the apartment was just as miserable as Joan was feeling it to be. Maybe not with the actual ringing of the phone. 
But that idea that maybe she was just all alone there and then her only friend stopped calling her, it just led her into a depression that resulted in her death. Mm-hmm. But that maybe her spirit pins this kind of blame on that connection being lost. So when it so happens that Joan ends up renting the apartment next door, her spirit decides to get revenge through the telephone, which was, of course, the method by which she lost connection with her in the first place. Mm -hmm. So that, I feel, is probably the strongest theory that you could have about this episode just because the tying theme of the phone between Mm -hmm. Beth and Joan but otherwise there's like almost nothing else how was these two's relationship was Joan a good friend up until she just lost contact with her or was she actually rather horrible who knows like there's literally nothing to go off of there's just not enough information and it's an important thing to note that like oh well This whole thing about, oh, there's a backstory involving having this phone be an important tie to that and making the phone a central part of this might sound really cool. Except you have to remember, this is like bare minimum for horror. That is a bare minimum aspect to have involving the demonification of a phone. Mm -hmm. Having some kind of means to where this phone is an evil thing is mandatory. You can't just have an evil phone and not explain it whatsoever. Like, you kind of need to have something to give this phone meaning. Mm. And it not having a solid meaning within the episode is kind of bad. Like, again, I'm going to bring this one up because they're thematically similar. All the clone by the telephone makes a point to make the answering machine its own kind of thing. Whether or not it is a clone, an alternate universe version of the same person or like a robot or whatever. The point is, is they put a lot of emphasis on what it is as opposed to just not explaining it. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference between it not having a backstory versus it being completely unexplained. Mm -hmm. For example, you have Oculus. Which is a movie that everyone loves, except for me. And me. We don't really like that movie. We have our reasons. We're not going to get into it. But that is a movie where it does not explain the source of evil, which is the mirror. And I don't actually have a problem with that. That's, like, not mm. my problem. Like, I, I don't care that it's an evil mirror. I like 1408, and it's just an evil room. Like, there's no reason for it to be evil. It just is. And I'm cool with that. But the whole idea is that they're building up these things to be evil. We know that they're simply evil objects or, of course, the 1408 places, and they don't need any further explanation. But it is, in fact, separated from other things. It's not unexplained. It's explained perfectly. It is evil. That's it. Mm. But with the phone, it does leave it rather unexplained. But it hints at certain things, but those hints don't feel like they really have any impact because we know so very little about the backstory. Mm. With, For example, if it really is the spirit of her friend coming to exact revenge for this perceived abandonment, we should know more about her, how she is with her friends. Maybe she's a horrible person. We don't really know that because we only see her having one awful night, the day that also sucks. So even though she's really obnoxious to actually watch and she seems like she might be really shallow and complaining constantly, we are only watching her after a nasty day where she had a horrible audition after a sleepless night where she also mentioned she was jet lagged. So I'm not going to use this day or this period of time in her life to judge her entire personality in life. Because we don't know anything about her. I don't want to use, like I said, a particularly bad day to judge her entire life. So it's not enough to go off of. Was she a bad person? Is she really shallow? Did she ditch her friend? I don't know. And it's impossible to tell from this episode. And if they gave us more information about that, then we could actually extrapolate to 
understanding her more and her connection with Beth and mm-hmm. why that would be more impactful if that was Beth's spirit exacting revenge. Exactly. And or, it's left very terribly explained. Yeah. Or if there's some other reason why this was almost like a tragic revenge, right? Like a misunderstanding that led to her death on top of her friends. Like there's so many ways this could work and it doesn't at all because despite them making this main character give us all this information, what they give us is ultimately useless to judge her as a person. So it's just this very, very ineffective in anything that it's trying to do because it gives us all the wrong information and nothing really important. The only things that are important are the hints about Beth and everything that honestly takes place inside that room is interesting. Like I said, I got a lot of 1408 vibes from it and I feel like that could have been done really well had the focus been there and not so much on this woman's complaining constantly. Mm-hmm. Had they cut that out, they could have focused more on developing that room as a character or the phone as a character. I mean, maybe flashbacks might be way too far in the budget. Maybe they couldn't afford it. I mean, this episode feels like it cost maybe a couple of bucks to make. But they could have done so much more with that. They could have had a flashback with her talking on the phone with her friend or something. I don't know. Give us something. The Twilight Zone did a perfectly good episode about one man in one room talking to himself. And that was one of my favorite episodes actually ever. And that's A Nervous Man in a $5 Room or a title along those lines. It's a really good episode. It takes place in one room with a guy talking to himself in the mirror. So it can be done and it can be done really, really effectively and well. Mm -hmm. It just depends on what kind of information you're willing to give the audience. What is actually important and what goes to develop your characters as opposed to just tell you the bare minimum of what this person does for a living and what kind of a day they've been having. (sighs) So... That's as much thought as we're really trying to put into this particular episode of Tales from the Dark Side. There's really not much to go on. And to be fair, we probably put more thought into it than the writers did. So we have that at least. But yeah, there's not much to talk about with this episode because I feel like the writers didn't have a whole lot to put into this. So yeah, this episode is stupid. It makes you feel stupid for watching it. And... uh, Yeah, I think that's about it. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. (laughs) Now, again, I do want to sort of reiterate, as much as I really am annoyed by this episode, it is not one of the worst episodes. Mm -mm. Okay, this is probably like a lower end of average. Okay, not like average like Mookie and Pookie. That's like... An enjoyable kind of average, right? Mm. It's bland, but it is inoffensive. It is bland, but it's Mm. kind of charming. But this is below that. Because I want to take average as being something that is still enjoyable, if quite forgettable. This is bad, but on your like lower than average spectrum. So I watched this and I got very annoyed And there's a lot of things I really don't like about it, but it does not have me pulling out my hair with how angry I am at it. Like, for example, Word Processor of the Gods really made me angry with the characters. So it's nowhere near as stupid, clearly. Like, Word Processor of the Gods is not stupid. I just really hate the characters in that. And they literally anger me. So I would probably straight up rather watch Answer Me than Word Processor of the Gods. Just because, at the very least, I don't hate this character. I don't know enough about her to hate her. I just don't like her talking constantly. I would still rather watch this than Jinno Chaser, though, because being talked at is way more annoying than just having to listen to someone talk to themselves. So, Valina, how would you rate your experience at the apartment 12E? I honestly, when it comes to the five-star rating system that I like to use, I kind of have to refer back to my other ratings. Like, I just described how I felt about other episodes in comparison to this one. So, to be honest with you, looking at that, I think I'll probably give it a two and a half stars. It might deserve two, but I'm going to give it that extra half a star because I feel like... There was some amount of effort to put some possible reasoning behind the phone that felt like it kind of had a thematic reason for being there. And it was kind of dark as well. And I feel like almost like all a clone, 
there could have been an underlying tie to the fact she's an actress and she's like an aging actress, right? And it's really hard for her to find work. And like All Alone, how that kind of ties into how the phone kind of creates these two personalities, right? The person who has to interact with others on a daily basis to get his story sold. You have this kind of weaselly, <laughs> brown-nosing personality, which is the answering machine guy. And then you have the actual main character who's the writer, the artist part. I feel like something like that could be hiding in here, but it's almost impossible to tell. And that would be if, for example, Beth somehow represents herself because she dies in the same way. And who's to say that it was either a repeat of something or kind of a foregone conclusion to how she was always going to die, right? Because she can't find work. She isn't clearly very close to her friends. It could be something along those lines. Now, there's so very little to actually pull any actual evidence for that. I feel like I might just be kind of wishing that we're here as opposed to there being even hints of such a thing already existing. But I do appreciate trying to tie the phone in. But again, I feel like this rating is straight up to make it slightly higher than Jin No Chaser, which is at two stars, and higher than Word Processor of the Gods, which is at one and a half stars. And because I, I would straight up rather watch Answer Me than Jin No Chaser again, I'm just going to give it a half star more. So two and a half stars is my final answer. It's prestigious. <laughs> Yeah, like long-winded. I, I will <laughs> say, I will say that it it is deserving of that rating. I agree with that. I wouldn't recommend watching this one. It's not as bad as some episodes, but that is by no means a testament to quality. Mm-hmm. It's still a bad episode. It's a bad experience, and I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, however, would you recommend our next episode, The Deer Collector? <laughs> Absolutely, it is a gem. I don't know why I love that episode so much. It is not even in the same style as the rest of the episodes of this season, let alone the series. It comes across as like a daytime drama show, like a soap opera, and a, a melodramatic one at that. But my God, it is so much fun to watch. I don't know why, but I just love it so much. And I cannot wait to talk about it next time. So, Valina, how do you try to call us? Well, you can try to contact us by relentlessly calling your phone at thishousepodcast.gml.com. Or, of course, you can find us on Instagram at thishousepodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes.com. We promise we will not have phones relentlessly ringing. Unlike this episode. And if you rate us five stars... We will call you in the middle of the night and keep you up until 5 a.m. Definitely. (laughs) That's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, before we strangle ourselves with telephone cords... Get out.